Hi, it's me. You remember. It's been so long. Since I've seen you. Come closer. I want to introduce you to my friends. We've been waiting so long for a new friend. Do you like impressions? We can do so many voices with enough practice. I bet we can do yours. From Elderblade Productions, this is Echoes of Exceason, Season 3, Episode 7, Music and Madness. down. Three to go. We sent Raxo to Sanctuary. His spirit, that is. His physical form rested in the fairy ponds, as did mine. Ketra's gentlefolk watched over our physical bodies. Bound, blindfolded, and with half the city's frights watching his every move. Raxo rotted in a dungeon within the great inverted tower. Kumia kept his coin. I gave it to her as soon as I could. Its heat made me uncomfortable. The way it seemed to claw at the skin of my palm. The almost unbearable chill that seized my bones when it wasn't nearby. While I held it, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had to be very careful with my thoughts lest the coin learn something about me it could exploit. I had assumed the coin was simply a means for Raxo to channel the dying embers, but perhaps the fright actually lay dormant within the coin itself. Kumia brought the coin to the soul spire, a tall stone pillar overlooking all of Sanctuary. Its flat peak was home to five archways of marbled stone. Kumia placed the coin inside one, an invisible magical force bound it in place. It floated idly in the center of the archway. In the center of the spire, there were intricate runic carvings, lines and circles drawn in bone-white paint, with candles at each apex. Cold, unassuming stone slab rested in the center. This was to be the location for the Feast of Passions, where, presumably, the child would be stripped of her connection to the Veilman's spirit. Seeing the display made me feel uneasy. My dealings with the Ebon Mist had forced me to be more open-minded about the darker aspects of magic. Yet, this was different. Perhaps it was because we had acquired our first focus. But suddenly this whole thing started to feel real. 
felt acutely aware of what our endgame was for the first time. My father and Ketra stood with me, watching Kamiya set the coin in its place. I felt a swift pat on the back from my father. Well done, Rowan. I knew if anyone could do this, it would be you. It's Claude, now. My voice was curt. I wasn't sure how intentional that was. And the job's not done yet. Uh, of course. My father pulled away, suddenly unsure what to do with his hands. My apologies. I'm still getting used to all this. You being here, us being so close to ending this nightmare. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, well, a bit excited. Leaning against one of the unused archways, he stared at me. But you don't seem to agree. I met his gaze, saw the concern crease the corners of his eyes. I opened my mouth to speak, but I could not find the words. Ketra found them for me. You are being confused. She placed a hand on my shoulder. You are wanting the child to be safe. I nodded. I know what will happen if Windarian gets to her. But I also know that no one has performed the Feast of Passions in over a thousand years. We can't be sure it will work how we think it will. Kumiya turned away from the coin. The dark pools of her large Wula eyes took me in. With a slight croak bubbling in her throat, she said, I hear you, Claude von der. It is true. We have asked a high price of you, with little guidance or assurance. It is not how I usually like to operate. But I promise, when the time comes, we will do everything in our power to ensure the child's safety. You are part of this team now, son, my father said eyes fixed on me in a show of solid support. We do things together or not at all. Once we have the foci all together, we'll discuss how best to proceed. We're not doing anything that any one of us isn't in agreement with. We are not the god of masks, Ketra affirmed, scowling at his name. No one is being a pawn. Although my doubts remained, their words did soothe me. Fair enough, I exhaled. Anyway, the matter is moot until we get all four foci. Anyone have leads on our next target? My father shifted, his gaze downcast. Well, I could tell you right where to find my body on the island. But to be honest, I'd rather we wait on that. Agreed. I said. Facing my own possessed father will be hard enough. I'd rather do it without worrying about the other circle members breathing down my neck. Then that leaves Vostri and Akira. 
Kumia said. Kin of the frozen river and the stolen chorus, respectively. Which should I focus on first? Ah, that's the tricky part, my father sighed. They like to work together. Their powers complement each other, see. Neither one is a straightforward fighter, but that doesn't mean you can underestimate them. Akira steals voices, Ketra explained. She hears your heart, listens for the voices that make it sing, then takes them for herself. And Vastri controls the flow of time itself, Kamiya finished. Not simply rivers, but the flow of all things. She sets the pace of something by playing her pipa. If she wishes, she can freeze a tiger in its tracks, or make a flower wilt before her eyes. In tandem, they're a force to be reckoned with, said my father. Akira lures you in, and Vostri traps you. I pondered this for a moment. Vostri does sound like a threat, but I'm not too worried about Akira. If what you say is true, then all I have to do is ignore her voices. We're on an island, after all. It's not likely anyone I know is going to be here. Even if she tries to impersonate one of you, I'll know it's a trick. My confidence was not reflected in the other's faces. Ketra mustered a half-smile, but my father and Kamiya cast a glance at one another. Just be careful, my father offered gently. I've seen them both in action. Underestimating them is exactly what they'd want you to do. Fair enough. So where do I find them? Kumia picked up a handful of dirt from the ground and sprinkled it atop the stone slab. The dirt animated and rippled outward, creating a model of a landscape. It depicted a swamp filled with reeds and algae and vines dangling from the trees like an old woman's hair. In the center of the model, there was a mossy hill rising out of the swamp, atop which a small hut rested. Kumia tapped on the hut with her webbed finger. Other toad, she intoned. The northeast part of the island. It is overgrown, difficult to see or walk through. A dark, lonely place where hope is fleeting. A perfect place to give false hope, I mused, in the form of a loved one's voice, perhaps. I nodded to Camilla. Thank you. I will fetch Gaz and Igneous, and we will leave within the hour. Surprisingly, Camilla gripped my shoulders in her hands. It felt like a warm gesture, the kind a doting grandmother would give. With a gentle squeeze, she leaned in and whispered, When you hear the music, don't forget to rest. Mother Toad felt more like a spider's web. Its brackish biome ensnared me and my kin before we even knew where we were. 
After hours of trudging through the hot jungle, a piercing coldness struck us like arrows in the chest. We felt the sudden wet stump of our feet into the mud. A concert of toads and crickets assailed our ears. The smell of fungus and salt water was so strong it was nearly overpowering. And despite it being daytime, a pale haze stole the sun from the sky. Rail-thin trees needled the water. Tendrils of moss coiled around the trunks like great snakes. The still water's reflection mirrored the silver sheen of the sky above. I looked to Gaz behind me. This must be it. The monkey gave a grim smile. Think so? Ugh, never liked this place. Too... gunky. Just try to stay focused. We don't know what we're walking into. On that, we can certainly agree, Gaz grumbled, lifting his foot out of the water to pick the bugs and twigs from his toes. We tread forth, cautiously. The water reached my waist, ice cold. Gaz had to crane his neck to keep breathing. I let him climb onto my back, but it did nothing to stem the growing chill in our bones. They're close, I thought. My eyes scoured the trees, while my ears pricked at the slightest fresh noise. I couldn't help but wonder who I would hear first. What voice would Akira choose from the chorus of my mind? Would she pose as a friend, like Quinn or one of the salamanders? An old enemy, like Kuga Grakonak? I was prepared for anything. I could not let her lure me to Vostri. As soon as I was in range of the musician's freezing magic, I was done for. Whatever specter of my past was summoned, I had to stand my ground. Challenge it. Dispel it from my... Hello, Vondere. The voice drained the blood from my veins. I nearly collapsed into the water. My body flailed as my gaze shot back and forth wildly, searching for a body to match the voice. It couldn't be, I thought. It had to be Akira. It had to be a trick, but it was so real. Who's there? Gaz called out. He leaned into my ear and whispered, I know it's probably Akira, but whose voice is that? Do you recognize her? Gaz's words helped me realize what was happening. My stupor shattered. I burst out laughing. <laughs> well now... I said out loud, regaining my composure. You had me for a moment, but you made a grave mistake. Vondere, it is I. The voice called out again, seemingly from everywhere. You must listen to me. You failed, Akira, I called out. Isolde of the Ebon Mist is dead. For a moment, there was silence. Then, the voice said something to me that summoned a mighty quake within my bones. 
I found Arik. I stood there, waist deep in the swamp, too stunned to move a muscle. My mind flashed to my last conversation with my former mistress in Grinvaldian, just after she'd sacrificed herself to defeat Ellipsis. I held her hand as it crumbled to ash, telling her not to go, as though it were a choice she had. Two ember coals inside a smoke cloud that used to be her face looked at me as she uttered her final words. If you come across a man named Arik, tell him I'm sorry I couldn't make our date. I struggled to process what was happening in real time. This can't be real, I thought. Or could it? Ketra said that Akira looks into one's heart and finds a voice that they want to hear from. But she didn't say anything about having access to my memories. How deep could she look into my mind? Could she really have seen that intimate moment between us? Or did Isolde actually find her way back to me somehow? It wasn't too far-fetched. This island was a second home to the God of Frights, a gateway to the Shade. I knew that death was different for a Fright than it was for mortals. Perhaps it wasn't as permanent as I thought. I tried to quell my excitement. My father's words still rang in my head. Akira wants you to underestimate her. I won't take the bait just yet, I decided, but let's see where this goes. If you are as old, show yourself, I called out. My enemy steals voices. Your presence will be proof it's really you. Would that I could, Von Der. I am still trapped in the whispering spires. My body will take ages to reform. Only my consciousness can reach out to you. How convenient, I quipped. And how is it that you can do this at all? And why reach out to me now, of all times? This place is very close to a portal to Winvarian's domain. It is where the borders between your world and mine are at their thinnest. As an elder fright, I can project my mind across great distances. But the process is draining, Von Der. I don't have much time. Hold on, Gaz whispered fearfully. You're saying this is your old ball and chain, Von Der? The lady who had dominion over an entire Twilight Realm? Possibly, I grumbled. Or it could be a trap. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I hope it's a trap, Gaz declared. I am not ready to meet your ex. She's not my... Von Der, Isolde's voice bellowed. The urgency in her tone moved me. Surely all this couldn't be faked. 
I know this is poor timing. You have no reason to believe me, but you must. You are being lied to. On that we can agree. It's the who that's in question. Kumia. The name was crisp with warning when Isolde pronounced it. She is not who she claims to be. Now the hairs on my neck began to stand. This had to be Akira, I decided. Impersonating my former kin, just to tell me not to trust the one in charge of Sanctuary? The one who sent me here to stop Winvarian's foot soldiers? An idea began to form in my head. If this voice was fake, then the imposter was likely to be close by. There were a lot of places to hide within the swamp. But in all this stillness, the slightest disturbance could be quite startling. I tilted my head back and whispered to Gaz, Hey, how long can you hold your breath? Depends, Gaz offered, suddenly nervous again. What do you need? Climb down, go to the water's edge. On my signal, come up and blast the biggest blade of air you can through the swamp. It might buy us enough time to escape. Can't do. What's the signal? Vondere, did you hear what I said? Kumia is using you. I shook my head in mock confusion. No, I moaned, putting my head in my hands. I knelt down into the water. Gaz slipped off my back and sank down. I murmured the signal phrase to him just as he submerged. I stood back up. That's... that's impossible, I rebuffed. Kumia hates what the God of Masks has done to frights. She's trying to stop him from destroying the world. Surely you can appreciate that. It is not her ends that are in question, but her means. Trust me, dispatch with the circle, but do not bring her the foci. Do not allow the Feast of Passions to be performed. Despite my conviction that this was all a lie, I had to admit I was curious. Why? What do you know about it? My, uh, my time is short, Vondere. I cannot explain appropriately here. But performing the ritual is not the way to defeat Winvarian. Not truly. Please, old friend, heed my warning. I mulled over her words. She dodged my question, true. But then again, something was off about all this. It clicked for me. She's not trying to bring me anywhere. She's not even trying to persuade me against fighting the circle. She just wants me to believe her. I was beginning to feel overwhelmed by it all. The strangeness of talking with Isolde again. The perfect recreation of her voice, 
these revelations, coupled with my longing for it all to be true, for the possibility that she wasn't really gone, so long that I carried the guilt with me after what happened with Ellipsis, I had single-handedly destroyed my own kin, the one who gave me another chance at life. Not only that, I took the entire Ebon Mist down with her. I'd already had to face the consequences of my actions with my own father. Did I really have to do it with Isolde too? Or was she capable of one last miracle, absolving me from yet another failure? A single drop of moisture fell from a nearby tree branch. It kissed the still swamp water, rippling outward. I saw my own reflection in the pool, distorted by the ripple. I gave a long, quiet sigh my breath a white wisp amidst the gray. I looked up at the sky, pretending I was looking right at my former mistress. I am yours, Isolde. Whoosh! A torrent of wind exploded to my left, tearing through the swamp. It tore out behind me, creating a wave of water to pass over my head. I seized the distraction, diving into the water as it crashed back down. I swam as hard as I could, forcing my near-frozen legs to propel me forward. I reached the edge of the swamp, wrenching myself upward. Gaz took my hand and helped me the rest of the way. Good work, Gaz, my frozen jaw chattered. Now go, run! We took off into the tree line putting as much distance as we could from us in the swamp. We heard no one calling for us, not as old nor any other voice. There was no music, only the eerie silence of the swamp, as the trees we passed seemed to watch us run in stoic judgment. I didn't have time to think about a plan. My only intent was to escape and regroup before Vostri and Akira could catch us. It was a ruse, I'd realized. A clever performance, crafted by a master imposter. And I didn't need a tell, or a slip-up to come to that conclusion. It was true for one very simple reason. I am Claude Von Der, and if there's one thing I've learned, it's that the universe doesn't let me erase my mistakes. We came upon a series of ditches, interspersed with fallen trees and mudslides. It slowed us down considerably, as we tried to clear each ditch without slipping in the mud or tripping over swamp debris. It was getting darker now, and a fog was rolling in. As we reached a clearing on the other side of the obstacles, I could begin to hear the familiar sounds of the jungle outside Mother Toad. We were close. I started for the home stretch when, ah, ouch, Von Der, help! I whirled around. Gaz had been right behind me before. He must have fallen into one of the ditches. Hang on, Gaz, I'm coming, I called out, 
I returned to the ditches, lurching over each one to search for him. There were four in total. The nearest one was empty. Hurry, Von Der! I... I think I hear them coming for us! It sounded like he was in the third or fourth ditch away from me. Then again, it was hard to measure distance in this place. It's alright, I still don't hear anyone. I leapt over to the second ditch and peered down. Nothing. I pushed a nearby log lengthwise over the ditch to allow us easier passage. Are you sure? I, I think she's in my head, Von Der. I, I think I hear Igneous. It's not nighttime yet, I said, crossing to the third ditch. Still nothing. Must be the fourth one. If Igneous is here, that means you disappear, remember? <laughs> yeah, only... God's Funder, it's him. It's Winvarian. He's calling to me. Cursing, I took a running leap over to the final ditch. Just ignore it, I yelled, plunging my hand into the ditch to reach for Gaz. We're almost... But the final ditch was empty. Instantly, my body froze. I felt no heartbeat in my chest, and my thoughts became thick as molasses. I couldn't even move my eyes, but I saw something coming into view. Gaz, motionless on the ground, tied to a rope. He was being dragged by what appeared to be a little girl, accompanied by an older woman playing the pipa. The little girl wore a choker made of brushed onyx with a silver jewel in the center. She had long, raven-black hair and piercing blue eyes. She wore an ivory-white peacoat and stockings with black character shoes. She met my frozen gaze with an empty expression as though she had tired herself out from being other people and had simply become a blank slate. Don't worry, Von Der, the girl said, still in Gaz's voice. When she next spoke, the voice shifted to his old. You don't have to fight anymore. We'll make this quick. The old woman had white hair tied up in a tight bun. Wrinkles washed over her face, draping over her high, jutting cheekbones. Her long, bony fingers clutched the pipa like talons, though when she played, they danced as nimbly as a child's. She wore a silken black robe with white piping. An emblem of a frozen river was emblazoned on the back and on the right side of her chest. Her gray eyes, wreathed in crow's feet, smiled at me. It was a kind smile, sad, the kind a grandmother might show to a grandson just before giving them terrible news. I am sorry, Claude Von Der, said Vostri of the Circle. But this is the end of your story.
Echoes of Exeser is written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects courtesy of GarageBand and Freesound.org. Outro song by Brittany Rea, also known as Music Speak, on SoundCloud. For questions or comments, reach out to me at echoesofexeser at gmail.com.